The worst kept secret in the luxury social events industry is that businesses are developed through networking, referrals and word of mouth. RSVP puts all of you in the room and lets the conversations happen. We are a member networking community for the elite of the global wedding and party industry, producing symposium conferences, awards, networking theme parties, breakfast clubs, and now weekly member podcasts and much more. So welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. Our guest today describes himself as thus. From Respiration Meetings Coordinator to Chief Experience Officer, Andrew Walmark has had numerous made-up job titles and has been fortunate enough to spend his adult life working with extraordinary people in extraordinary places in roles ranging from extraordinary to downright ridiculous. He lives in London with his partner Harvey and spends every Saturday morning with his godson Tommy. His hobbies include complaining about bad customer service, yes he's one of those, and pretending to work out in the gym. He's equally happy sipping champagne on a yacht as he is with a quiet night in, although the latter is far more common occurrence these days. Now, to add to that, personally, having known this person for a dozen years, I would like to add my own experiences of him, which involve our shared appreciation of a girl called Margin Luton, a pair of psychopaths from Curacao, but he did get his BA gold, and finally, I was a person who very indirectly got him involved in a wedding with, with a fellow planner, whereby both of them were bundled into a crypt in Greece by armed men alongside empty graves and told explicitly how they were to plan the daughter's wedding. Welcome, Andrew Walmark. What an intro. Thank you very much. Brings back some fantastic and <laughs> horrific memories. I won't yeah. say which one marges. Well, and they all involve me, sadly. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. But at least we've got a nice broad spectrum. I have to sort of say the first thing. What on earth is a respiratory meetings coordinator? Do you teach people how to breathe or what? <laughs> My first job in events, I got a two-week booking as a temp secretary at Astra Pharmaceuticals in 1997. And it was for the head of marketing in the respiratory department. So it's asthma drugs. And she took a liking to me and asked what I wanted to do for my career. So I, I told her that I wanted to be an event planner based solely on the fact that the night before I'd seen a documentary about someone who did event planning and she was traveling on aeroplanes. And I've always liked aeroplanes, so I thought, oh, that's what I want to do. So she made up a job for me. And there was already an in-house conference team who took care of all of the conferences and all of the events that this company did. And she had me in the respiratory marketing department as their kind of representative for, for the conferences. So I worked on all sorts of things based around asthma drugs, conferences for doctors with various room swapping going on, not me, I hasten to add, but some of the, some of the product, <laughs> product managers and the doctors and all sorts of things. And I used to pick up the phone when I was, when I was in the office and say, good afternoon, respiratory, which was great, but I always thought it would be more fun to work in the erectile dysfunction department. <laughs> Your career isn't over with yet. Let's just look at that way. <laughs> <laughs> There's always erectile dysfunction to come. <laughs> this is a podcast about Andrew the Individual. So we might brush along your, alongside what you're doing now in your professional life, but this is about you. And not to be too Freudian about it, but tell us about your childhood and your upbringing. Goodness, my childhood and my upbringing. I grew up in Jewish Northwest London. I grew up with an amazing family in a lovely place surrounded by lots of people that I knew. 
in the community. I've described myself as Jewish, so I'm not practicing, but I still very much identify as a Jew. And that upbringing had quite a lot to do with that, I think. It taught me the strength of community, the strength of lots of people who all just kind of know each other, not necessarily best friends, but acquaintances. And it was fantastic. As a teenager, I used to hang out with all of these people every weekend. And I lived in Bushy Heath and there were people who lived in Bushy and they'd get on the bus down in Bushy 6.30 on a Saturday evening. And we'd all, the Bushy Heath people would all be waiting for them at the bus stop outside the newsagents. And it would take ages for the bus to come because there were no mobile phones. So you'd just call people before you left the house and then assume that they were going to be on the bus. And we'd all then pile onto the bus when, when it arrived. And then all the Stamor people would meet us. And then we'd all arrive at Edgeware Station and there'd be about four, 500 Jewish kids all outside Edgeware Station going out for their evening entertainment. And then everyone would go off in their little groups to the cinema or to dinner or to whatever innocent pastime we were partaking in. Everyone would come back together in Golders Green at the end of the night, talk about what they'd done for the evening, eat more. I don't really remember alcohol being involved and just then Go, go home at the end of the evening. And it was just lovely. It was, it was very nice. And that was balanced with my high Anglican schooling. I went to a school called Quainton Hall in Harrow, which was uh, overseen by Mr. Milner, the headmaster, and Father de Brise, the chaplain. And then on to Aldenham, which was another high Anglican school. So I had, I had a lot of different friends from different backgrounds. But yeah, that kind of, that Jewish community piece was made for, made for a really lovely childhood experience. Do you have a first memory of when you were two or three or something? Yeah, I do actually. I, I used to go to the duck pond in Bushy Heath with my grandpa in my buggy. And we used to go to the fueling station. It wasn't the fueling station at all. It was a bush or something halfway around the duck pond. <laughs> but we'd always go there and we'd, we'd, we'd refuel the car, the buggy on the way around. So I guess, yeah, that was kind of one of the first ones. Okay. Well, wonderful. Very innocent first memory. There we go. I know. There we go. Wonderful. So we're going to go into more about you as a person now. So we're going to talk about, I mean, in terms of art forms, you think of yourself as an artistic person. We're obviously, we operate in a creative industry, but is there a favorite art form that you like and how does that express itself in terms of your favorite people that are artists in that art form? Anyone who knows me knows my obsession with musical theatre. And so that is by far and away my favourite art form, verging on a slight obsession. But I have very broad tastes in musical theatre. And in fact, I, I, I like opera as well. I'm not very highbrow in most things, um, but opera does make, make the odd appearance. Almost entirely all of my, my artistic output is all based around that. And what's your favourite musical then, or, or your favourite opera? If you could go and see it every single night, what would be your, your go-to? Well, do you know, I tried that with, with The Book of Mormon. <laughs> Years ago, I went to see The Book of Mormon and I absolutely loved it. And then I ended up seeing it six times. But I can tell you from experience that you only need to see it four times. <laughs> um, <laughs> my favourite musical, my favourite obscure musical is one called A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. For my 40th, I went to New York with a group of friends from all around the world, and there were about 20 of us. And we all went to see it, and everybody loved it, without exception. Um, and it's a fantastic show. It's never come to the West End, unfortunately. And in fact, I've never seen it since. So if you won the lottery and you wanted an obscene amount of money and you could find out as any 
musical you wanted, would that be the one or would you? Do you know, I have thought about that. (laughs) Winning the lottery takes up probably more time in my head than it should. It used to be the best little whorehouse in Texas, Uh but on the basis that I don't want to lose all my money, um, and I don't think that that show would really fly these yes. days. Can I have a bit of confession myself? I once directed that show. Oh, did you? 30-something years ago. Did you? Where? At university. Well, wh- which university? Um, Nottingham. Oh, see, I, I was in it in Leeds. Oh, right. Okay. No, no, I, I wasn't singing on stage. I was director. But I, I do agree with you that, um, yes, it probably wouldn't fly today. Yeah. Gosh, I can't believe we've never had this conversation. We'll have to <laughs> have a sidebar sing-along at some stage. There we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 20 fans are turning. There we go. In every room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you would maybe produce, sorry, what was the musical again you saw in New York? It's called A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Do you know Kind Hearts and Coronets? Yes. The Alec Guinness film. Yes. The Ealing comedy. Yes. Exactly. Yes. It's the musical version really? of that. Okay. So one character plays all of the, the family members, the extended family members who get murdered. That's a big part then for, for one individual. Yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic. Really great. Great music. Wonderful. Okay. And do you have a favourite style of music or is that, again, linked to the musical theatre genre? It is very firmly linked to the musical theatre genre. Yeah, I I listen almost exclusively to musicals and I love to find obscure musicals that I haven't heard before. Interesting. Okay. And actually, I've got to ask this because... I do like musical theatre as well, by the way. But what do you think of Sondheim? Do you know, I've grown into Sondheim. I used to be vehemently anti-Sondheim. And in fact, I used to go to Marie's Crisis in New York. You must know it. The piano bar where they sing show tunes. And every time Sondheim would come on and all of the Sondheim fans would go crazy, I'd go to the bar and order myself another enormous drink. And I saw company in the West End a few Years ago, look quite a few years ago now. I think the Rosalind Craig version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where the um it, the lead was a female. Yeah, okay. exactly. And um and I absolutely loved it. And that kind of opened my ears, I think, to Sondheim. And then I started listening to 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 more. And I start I kind of got into Sweeney Todd. And yeah, I've actually just a couple of weeks ago was very very kindly invited by a great friend to the um sondheim friends of sondheim show that's happening later this year in september so i'm quite looking forward to it why where, where, where do you stand on sondheim love it absolutely oh, adore him. okay yes okay. yeah no um um sunday in the park with george also that is my favorite painting as well okay um, but anyway this isn't about me it's about you <laughs> there we go but but yeah no i am i'm a i'm a fellow devotee this the just the sophistication is is on another level of everything really and the performance that it d- demands as well is correct is is just spectacular yeah i mean again this isn't about me but i, I do remember a quote whereby when i was directing best little horse in texas we were deciding on which musical to do and and i said well how about some song time and the musical director said no way it's too difficult to sing yeah no way no, no way. Best little whorehouse in Texas. On the other hand, anyone can do it. <laughs> Absolutely. As I found out. <laughs> okay, so do you have a special talent that comes out maybe when you've had too many glasses of, of, of cocktails? Or is, is it something that we don't know about you? Do you know, my special talent up until I was about 27 was wiggling my ears. <laughs> can you still do it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. We, we can't pick it up on the podcast, unfortunately. But um, no, 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 we can't. I had applied to... Some Noel Edmonds show to tell them that I had this great talent of being able to wiggle my ears to the 
uh, music, it's called Wheels, I think. Anyway, the phone rang one day when I was at home and my mum picked it up and she said, oh, yes, 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 that's right. He can. Yes, he can wiggle his ears. And I thought, oh, it's them. They're calling me. Anyway, very long story short, it wasn't for the show I'd applied to. It was for another Noel Edmonds quiz show where basically they were asking the contestants whether they thought something was true of an audience member. And I was said audience member and they asked whether I could wiggle my ears. So at the age of maybe 12, I think I appeared on TV wiggling my ears and went into school the next day thinking, oh, I've been on TV. And of course the reaction. Oh my God, you got killed. Do you know, I didn't get killed. I was kind of universally, I wouldn't say universally liked. I was universally not disliked enough <laughs> that, that I wasn't killed, but it was, it, it wasn't the, the entrance into glory that I thought it was going to be. But then my talent changed. I lived in Tokyo for, for a few years and I learned how to sing doa deer in Japanese. So that right, okay. has become my new skill, but I haven't had anything to drink. So you're not going to hear it now combination of musical theatre and Japanese. Wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, do you think yourself as a as a frustrated performer, would you want to be on stage singing in these musicals? Well, I did after I left my job as respiratory meetings coordinator. I left actually in order to become an actor. Okay. So I moved from Bushy Heath to, uh, I can't remember, somewhere in South London and became an actor. I, I didn't, I got a job in balance and, uh, and did some acting lessons and appeared in a couple of really awful kind of community theatre things and yeah. then realised that I wasn't, I didn't have the same devotion as everyone else. So gave it up pretty darn sharpish. And um, that professional loss is events gain, I suppose. But it's, it's, it's not that dissimilar, is it really? No, it isn't. It's just a, a different way of looking at it. Exactly. A different stage, more immersive. So in 10 years time, where do you see yourself both personally and professionally? We've, we've mentioned that you're with your partner, which is brilliant. But in 10 years time, where do you see yourself living and what do you see yourself doing? I mean, it's a really interesting question. And I, um, I had a bit of business coaching about six months, maybe a year ago, when I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And the first question that my amazing coach asked me was, where do you see yourself in, it was five years. <laughs> and I hadn't really given it too much thought, but she asked me to put down what I saw in my personal life and my professional life and kind of everything to do with health and wellness and where I'm living and what the colors will be and what the smells will be. <laughs> And it helped me massively because, especially the health question, I have to say, I am, yeah, I'm, none of us getting any younger, right? And I said, well, of course I want my health to be good. But that then informed a lot of the other decisions that I was making. Well, in order for my health to be good, I need to have the time to take care of myself. I need to be able to eat decent food. I need to be able to try and get to the gym or at least, you know, exercise regularly. And in order to do that, I need a particular kind of lifestyle. And so some of the decisions I made about where I wanted my career to be were intrinsically linked to where I wanted my health to be. And where do I think I'll be um, in 10 years? I, I don't know. Certainly still in London. London is my where I was born. And apart from those four years in Tokyo is, is very much where I uh -huh. see my, my, my whole life. The smells and the colours were really interesting as well because I love fresh air and I love greenery and that's really important to me. So I'd love to have some sort of country retreat 
still definitely want to be working. I see that I'll be working until I drop, I think. I don't, I can't imagine a life without work. Okay. This is about you, the person. So it isn't necessarily about you, the professional person, but we, but we can give you a small plug. It's absolutely fine. I know that you've, you've worked for quintessentially in the past and you've left three times. Uh, but you've, you've been there more than once, and that's how I met you. But you have a new company called Parade. Just tell us very briefly about what does Parade do. Okay. I, and I would say, you know, when you said, oh, this is about you, the person, not you, the professional, I would say, and I think all, all of us kind of event people are very similar. They're so intrinsically linked, right? Mm-hmm. We don't finish the Correct. day and, and yeah. that's it, done with work. And my friends are my work people and my work people are my friends and it, 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 it's all, it's very blurred lines. But um, I've spent the last 20, well, more than 20 years, I've spent the last many, many years working in uh, various hospitality roles and various roles where I am delivering, I hope, excellent service for my clients, customers, guests, etc. And I'm very, very, very fussy when it comes to customer service. And I decided that actually the greatest thing that I can do for myself uh, and um, I hope the greatest value that I can offer to my clients is helping them to develop the same level of experience for their customers, clients, or valued guests. So Parade is a guest experience strategy and training business where we help our clients to elevate the experience, to learn from the luxury industry if they're not already in the luxury industry, or if they are, to learn from other parts of the luxury industry so they can exceed expectations every step of the way. Wonderful. And if RSVP can help in any way or our members can help, then I'm sure they'll be in touch. Thank you. And that's um, that's wonderful. So you have a bar with every drink in it in the world, every type of wine. What's your go-to? Uh, a Negroni. What particular kind of gin? Do you know, I used to think that it didn't matter. <laughs> I had dinner a couple of months ago with... Again, a friend who I know through work and her her boyfriend who I'd not met before and he's an amazing barman and he told me that actually it does matter what gin you put in a granny and he suggested Tanqueray 10 and that's what I've been doing since and it's delicious. And it also matters what vermouth you mm-hmm. use, which I, I'd been using Martini Rosso, but apparently that isn't a vermouth. So now I'm just looking at my at my bar and I can't see the name of it, but now I use a proper vermouth. Do you have Ponte Mez? Uh, that's the one that I use normally. Um, <laughs> Andrew's going off now to check his drinks collection, his drinks cabinet. It is Kochi. Kochi. I've not heard of that one. Where's it from? Yeah, here we are. Oh, it's from Turin. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Oh, I was going to say how you know it's from Turin because it's so there on the bottle. There we are. So that so that's what I use, <laughs> and I have um, it's an extra large ice cube tray that I use for pouring it over, and I have a beautiful stirring jug that I use to, to make it. But my rule is almost always just the one because I feel like nothing, it doesn't get better after the first. You're quite correct. Especially as we get older, I can't, I can't have more than one anyway. I know. It's really depressing, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It's, um, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. So, so I know that you, you also drink wine, but if you were having a dinner party and you had any wine in the world to serve your guests, what would the wine be? And also what food would it be as well? Do you know the wine? I, I'm not. I, I used to love wine, and I don't drink wine anymore. I can't drink wine anymore. I'll drink champagne, and uh, Bill Carr Salmon Rosé is my favourite champagne. So I'll give you that one. In the in the late nineties, I used to sit at the bar at Jay Shiki and drink half bottles of Bill Carr Salmon Rosé with my best friend at the time, and we'd get through about six of them, and it was great fun. But I don't do that anymore. And what would the food be? Very interesting question. 
I like homemade good food. I I love going to fancy restaurants, but my favorite thing is just a really good hearty plate of tasty homemade food. I love Italian food. I think that would probably if I was if I was having a dinner party at home, I'd make really good Italian food. And in terms of the people around the table, obviously Harvey would be your number one over I presume. But if you had the dream dinner party, anyone alive or dead, who would be around the table? Maggie Smith would a hundred percent be there. I think she is amazing. I think she's an incredible actress and everything that I've ever seen her in, I've loved. My fear would be that I'd meet her and she'd be less than I was hoping uh-huh. for. Never meet your idols, that's, what's, that's, that's what they say. Never, never meet yes. your heroes, exactly. Uh, who else would I have? Uh, Stephen Fry. I really love Stephen Fry. These are all very cliched people, aren't they? Liza Minnelli. They're all alive, which, so, it's, so it's possible. It is possible. It really is possible. And I'm not sure. I'll keep the other space free for a future hero. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. And when you want to chill out, you want to relax. We work in a very stressful industry. We all need our go-to place, our way of doing it. What do you do? How do you do it? Where do you go? Who do you do it with? I walk, actually. I love walking. It's a really important part of my day. And if I need to get away from the laptop then that's what I do. I'm very lucky that I live right by the river and walking along the river is one of the great joys in my life, crossing the bridges. So yeah, I'd say I'd say that's it. And perversely, I also relax by getting my inbox in order. Okay. Which is really sad, but I, I, I always find that once I know that that's all taken care of and I've got a list and I know that I know what I have to achieve, then I can step away from it and I feel much more relaxed mm-hmm. by having that all kind of organised. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. And if you travel, do you have a favourite place or is it a different place every time? Different places. I love a city. I'm not very good on a beach, but Harvey and I went on a cruise last year. Well, you are getting that old. I, do you know <laughs> what? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, yep, middle-aged gay man, there we are. Cruising is my thing now, it turns out. So we're just we're just working out where we want to go next. And I think um, it's looking like it's hopefully going to be Alaska. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. So if it's a cruise, is it a cruise to a destination that you wouldn't normally go there on a plane? Or is it just the experience of being on the boat? And, and the environment and, the, and maybe the closeness and the proximity of people and that sort of is attractive. I love talking to a stranger, as Harvey will tell you if you ask him. And But I don't think that's really the appeal. I think the appeal is that you've got your stuff and you can go to lots of different places and you don't have to keep unpacking and packing, which honestly, if, if I told myself that 10 years ago that I'd be speaking these words, I'd be shocked and appalled with myself because I, I, I loved traveling and living out of a suitcase and literally unpacking and packing every night. And I've, and I've traveled a lot, but, um, yeah, that, that comfort of being transported by your hotel, of having a different perspective on travel. So, you know, actually seeing yourself sailing into a port, um, seeing the land from the sea. Yeah. I think all of those things make for a really lovely experience. A party cruise, a kind of Caribbean party uh-huh. cruise is my absolute idea of hell. Uh-huh. But kind of a, an Alaska itinerary, we talked about doing a, a cruise around Japan where you can go to all of the different points around around Japan. 
think absolutely fantastic. Okay. So if there are any uh, cruise companies uh, <laughs> listening and they they, they want to get me on, then sponsorship always welcome. <laughs> so, Andrew, now we come to the nitty gritty. What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done who, which you're prepared to tell us? There's probably things that you aren't prepared to tell us, I know, but... Um, but <laughs> or maybe you can hint, I don't know. Your parents won't be listening to this, it's fine. <laughs> Do you know, honestly, I've given this so much thought and... I don't really know what defines naughty, right? Because there are things that all of us have done that we, I'm sure, regret, right? Well, actually, regret and being something naughty, I think, are two separate things. I mean, I mean, I could have said, well, what have you done that you regret, Andrew? But I didn't. I said, what have you done which is naughty? <laughs> now, actually, some people have done some naughty things which they're very actually proud of because it's, 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 it just adds to their character. Sorry, I'll be very provocative, I know. Do you know, honestly, I can't think of anything that's that's <laughs> naughty. I can think of stuff that's awful. Like, <laughs> Andrew, what have you done which is awful? <laughs> well, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> Let, but we'll come back to that. Let's come back to that if I can think of anything. Okay, fine. I suppose, you know, as a child, you know, you've you've kicked a football and broken a window and then blamed your brother, you know, uh, and, and and your parents have, have accepted your version. You know, there's, there's, well, actually, that's, that's more of a confessional, I know, but... Do you know what? When I was a kid, my brother did all the naughty stuff and blamed me for it, <laughs> or, or we just agreed not to, not to tell. And in fact, <laughs> there was... I dropped my cap in the road outside prep school and it was found the next day by the caretaker and he handed it back to me and my brother was there when he handed it back to me. So my brother knew that I had dropped my cap and my mum would not be happy. So he started threatening me saying, cap, if, 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 if I was going to tell on him. And then he was in my, I had a collection of key rings and he was in my room and swinging a key ring round and it smashed a light bulb and he said don't tell mum tell her that it just exploded <laughs> so then every time either of us did anything naughty he'd say to me cap and i'd say to him light bulb <laughs> so that was our code of not telling on each other well there we go i know that you are obsessed fascinated with first class air travel in and you've flown on most airlines around the world so if you could fly anywhere in any class, what would it be? Very good question. The flight that I used to love the most was the, do you remember the, the, the British Airways flight from City Airport to New York? Yes. It stopped off in Shannon, didn't it? It did, yeah, to refuel. It still goes, doesn't it? Does it go? No, it doesn't. No, it stopped during COVID, unfortunately. It was business class only, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was 32 seats, all business class, uh -huh. and it was the most... Do you know what? For me, it's not just about being on the plane. It's about the whole end-to-end -end experience. Uh -huh. And that was such a well-considered experience where they had a dedicated gate at London City Airport with just 32 seats at the uh -huh. gate. It wasn't a lounge. It was just the gate and they had refreshments. Uh -huh. The canapes and champagne on the way to Shannon, the clearing US customs at Shannon, the getting back on the plane and having your flight to New York, it feeling a little bit like a private jet, arriving as a, as a domestic flight. It was just end-to-end. -end, it, it was all really fantastic. And that, that for me, is, is the is the joy of it. So it's not so much the route, it's more the end-to-end -end experience. And British Airways, the first-class experience isn't that great because the product's not that great yeah. and the, the lounge experience isn't that great. Lufthansa have a dedicated first-class terminal, uh -huh. which I'd love to try. And again, it's that kind of, it's that whole end-to-end -end experience that my favourite 
airline to fly most recently has been Qatar Airways. I've been doing a lot of work in the Middle East and rather than flying direct, I'd fly via Doha simply because that whole end-to-end experience was so fantastic. Doha Airport is in- incredible. Then that their first-class lounge experience is is amazing. So yeah, it's not so much about the route. It's not so much necessarily about the product. It's the whole end-to-end experience. Wonderful. I think we are about to wrap up, Mr. Walmark. Our time is up. Well, it's been a joy, as always. It's been absolutely wonderful. So thank you, Andrew Walmark, Chief Experience Officer, Professional Complainer, Event Producer, Lover of Quintessentially Leaving Parties, Actor, and Purveyor of First Class Travel. Thank you very, very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. If you don't like what we do, please let us know and tell us how we can make it better. If you do like what we do, then please tell others and encourage them to listen and join RSVP. That way we will build a better community. In addition to these weekly podcasts, in July we're starting Breakfast Club Meets in London and we have our RSVP stock party, One Night of Love, Peace and Music on the 4th of July. To join us, please go to rsvp.club or email me, james, at rsvp.club for more information. Speak to you all next week.